And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 331. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. My name is Tom Harris. Welcome along to the show, and welcome to autumn. And along with autumn comes allergy season. So I do apologize for my rather congested voice this week. I did try to take an antihistamine and try to get a little bit more clear a voice, but I'm not in the best voice, and I do apologize for that. But you know what? The the deadline for the show is approaching, and I do need to get it out. So anyway, uh, my apologies once again for my seasonal allergies, but there's very little I can do about them. Uh, For once, we actually have some Thor news. Now, it's going to be old news by the time that this show airs, but just because of the production schedule and the timing of the announcements and all of that. Yeah, we've had some Thor news over the past week, and unfortunately, it's going to be sad news to a lot of us. And that is the fact that uh, after Avengers Infinity War Part 2, we are losing Chris Hemsworth as Thor. I can't imagine that that is coming as a big surprise to anybody out there. It seems like most of the the main Avengers are coming to the end of their contracts with Marvel Productions, and they want to go on and they want to do other things. And I get that. I mean, at this point, most of them have been playing these characters for a decade. And I'm sure that it's not so much not liking the property anymore or whatever, but having done anything for a decade, and especially as an actor whose shelf life is largely based on your age and what you can play, you know, they wouldn't maybe want to get typecast after 10 years as being Captain America or Thor or whatever. Granted, Hemsworth has been doing a lot of stuff outside of the Marvel movies and has been doing lots of movies, not so much Chris Evans. I mean, what what else has Evans been doing? It seems to me just an observation here that this is going to continue. Marvel is going to start having to depend more and more on the second-tier Marvel characters to keep their cinematic universe going. With the departure of of Chris Evans as Captain America, with the departure of Hemsworth as Thor, uh, probably Robert Downey Jr. is not going to want to do any more Iron Man movies, or at least not many more. And it's going to leave a big gap in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as far as the characters that that are being used. And I guess that that's, I mean, is it a problem? Yeah, it is a problem because these are fan favorite characters. And it's also an opportunity for new writers to come in, new ideas to take root. But it doesn't seem to me that Marvel has been putting their best foot forward as far as the next projects that they have coming out. Now, obviously, we have the Black Panther. The Black Panther is going to be, whether planned or not, basically the flagship franchise now of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which has just been canceled by Marvel. 
over the firing of James Gunn, who's gone over to do DC movies for them for stupid reasons. So now we have that franchise that looks like it may be in a little bit of trouble. And, uh, you know, we've got the, the uh, Ant-Man series. We've got Doctor Strange in theory. You know, but Benedict Cumberbatch is a, a big star. He does a lot of stuff. So could we expect to get another two or three movies out of him? I really don't know. I know, I know that he's contractually obligated to do another one, but I don't know if he's doing any after that. So it leaves Marvel in the position of they're going to have to come up with new stuff to do. Now, I've seen the Captain Marvel trailer, and I will say I'm not real impressed by the Captain Marvel trailer. It doesn't look that exciting. It's a character that I, I like the fact that, that she's there, and I've liked the character ever since she was Ms. Marvel back in the 70s. It's not a character that excites me. It's not a character that makes me want to plunk down 15 bucks to go see a movie. So I guess that Marvel needs to bank on the fact that this character is going to have a wide following outside of non-comics readers. And the reason I say that is because Captain Marvel's books don't sell. The comics readers don't like the character. Either they don't like the character or they don't like what they're trying to do with the character. And maybe they don't find the character very interesting. Now, if there's one thing that we know about the Marvel Cinematic Universe's you know, viewers is that most of them are not comics readers. So maybe they're hoping that this Captain Marvel movie is going to be a big hit with those who aren't comics fans. I suppose that's possible. Isn't anything possible? But... It doesn't strike me as being very likely. So I find that Captain Marvel is going to be a tent peg property that maybe can't hold up that section of the tent. Like I said, Marvel's Marvel's main property now is going to be Black Panther, whether they like it or not. So they're going to have to do some stuff, you know, other stuff that's going to keep that Marvel Cinematic Universe afloat besides Black Panther. So... I'm a little skeptical of this, and it doesn't look like it's going in an encouraging direction, but that's just kind of my state of the Marvel Cinematic Universe rant. I mean, they could, they still have Spider-Man in sort of a half-assed way. Maybe we'll see the FF come back. If this deal with Fox and Disney goes through, maybe we'll get the Fantastic Four. That would be great. Maybe we'll get a reboot of X-Men. I've been saying for a while I'd like to see the original X-Men in a movie, uh, that would be something that would be interesting to see. So I guess we'll find out. I mean, you know, it's just my own little bit of musing here about what's been going on and the, the news coming out from Marvel Studios over the, the past few weeks. Um, and I don't often talk about this stuff because I don't like to speculate. I don't like to, to spoil things. And, and you know how I am about, about that. And I'm also a little bit lazy, as you probably noticed. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so uh, we are going to be moving on this week, and we're going to be moving back to Thor Volume 2, uh, and we'll be doing that for one story arc and then moving on to something else again. But yeah, uh, after doing uh, you know the long story arc of, of Girl Thor, and yeah, we've been doing a lot of stuff on the show, um, going back to just a plain old kick-ass Thor comic is something I'm kind of looking forward to. So we're going to be doing that. But before we do that, I actually do have 
a piece of correspondence. Wow, it's been ages since we've had an email on the show, probably also from this letter writer. And this is Mr. Gene Hendricks. He writes about the uh, last episode where we had the origin of Mjolnir. And here's what Gene had to say. He says, Tom, I just listened to your latest episode where we found out the quote-unquote true origin of Mjolnir. Now, I'm not one of those guys who demands that the comics of the Norse lore match up all the time. I know they're different, and that's fine. What I do demand is that the writers be consistent with what came before. This doesn't have to do with Mjolnir per se, but with two other creations, Stormbreaker and Thunderstrike. Stormbreaker has the exact same powers as Mjolnir. Stormbreaker has the exact same powers as Mjolnir. If Mjolnir was created to contain a cosmic storm, and that's where the powers come from, then how did Stormbreaker come about? Then there's Thunderstrike, the mace given to Eric Masterson, which had a downgraded set of powers, but still very similar to Mjolnir. Both weapons are made from Uru metal, but didn't take anywhere near the effort to create as Mjolnir did, according to this story. I agree with you that Jason Aaron thinks he's above the material and doesn't need to pay attention to what has come before. That, more than anything else, is why I get frustrated listening to your coverage. You do a great job, but the stories at their core are thumbing their nose at Lee, Kirby, Lieber, Thomas, DeFalco, Friends, and all the other creators, but especially to Walt Simonson, who went to great pains to work in the lore while paying homage to the previous history of the character. And if you throw out Simonson, you lose me completely. Sorry for the rant, but I had to get that out from Gene. Well, first of all, thanks, Gene, for sending in correspondence. It's always great to hear from listeners, and especially from the Hammer Strikes, the Hammer Podcast, the Quantum Cast, etc., etc. So uh, thanks, Gene, for writing in. So you make an excellent point here. Uh, I hadn't really thought of the whole Mjolnir Stormbreaker thing, but it, it is essentially what you say, and I agree with you 100% about that. Um, as yeah, as as interesting a story this origin of Mjolnir was, it's not consistent with what came before, and I agree with you that that can be an issue. Um, it's frustrating to me that they're kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater in a lot of these cases where we have a new creator come on, and that new creator wants to make their own stamp on the book. Now, I understand though that. Jason Aaron wouldn't want to play in Simonson's sandbox. I get that. Simonson had a unique vision of the character. And I think that most of the creators who've worked on the book, for better or worse, have had a unique version of the character. And you could make the argument for most of these different creative teams that they didn't respect what came before. So... There's sometimes, I think, when it, when it was obvious, more obvious than others in the case of Jason Aaron. But if you really think about it, you know, Lee and Kirby didn't treat the Norse mythology very well. You know, I think part of that was the fact that they didn't know the Norse mythology. They had you know, a copy of Bullfinch's mythology and maybe a couple, three stories that, that they had easy access to. And they didn't have the great collections of, of the myths like we have now. But... If you look at, for example, the uh, DeFalco Friends run that came right after Simonson left the book, they immediately started distancing themselves from the Simonson material. As, as, as good as some of those stories were, they basically they picked up some narrative threads from Simonson and then they started changing everything again. Um, the Asgard of the, uh, of the Tom DeFalco run 
is that super sci-fi Asgard and not anymore the rustic, more traditional sort of, of Viking Asgard that we got under Simonson. As much as I love the Simonson run, I think that it, it really works best if Simonson is doing the stories. So I, I guess I agree with you, you know, about 85% in your email, but that's, that's why emails are good because you get different viewpoints and you get enough of my viewpoint without hearing anything else. So yeah, it's always good when other people do write in. So anyway, Gene, I really, really appreciate the email. And of course you can catch Gene on his various projects. He's the uh, hammer podcasts and the hammer strikes blog, which we, uh, definitely are, are still playing your trailer here, and we really do appreciate uh, you being a friend of the show. So uh, thanks, Gene, for writing it. All right, so it is time to move on now. We do have a uh, issue of Thor Volume 2 to cover, so here we go with our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar, you behold Indeed, and this week we're looking at The Mighty Thor, Volume 2, Issue Number 33. This came out in March of 2001. Cover price was $2.25. Cover art is by Andy Kubert. Shows a female version of Thor standing on the cover. Hey, we just came off of the female version of Thor, but no, this is very different. So we have a uh, female version of Thor uh, kind of shadowed and looking very mysterious uh, on the rooftop of a, a building and there's sort of these old-fashioned steam uh, turbine things standing there it looks like it's snowing out so we've got some snow and she's holding a big old mallet that looks like uh, Harley Quinn's mallet except a little bit smaller and yeah but basically she looks like Thor and the caption on the cover says who is Thor girl and we start our story with a dark alleyway, and we have a shot here of the of the Twin Towers. And this is not that long before 9-11, so this is, uh, yeah, oh, just right, right around that same era. And we got somebody sleeping in an alleyway, some sort of wino or something. And we have a, uh, a captions here for many. New York City, the financial and entertainment capital of the world, exemplifies man's best. If it's possible for a city to be alive, New York surely is. Like most living things, the metropolis has a darker side, one which exudes man's worst. It is a place of despair and loss where the city's bright lights never seem to shine. And we get this guy in the alleyway, and he's hearing a voice, um, and the voice says, Mortal, thou shalt answer my questions. And he's like, huh, what? My questions, thou shalt answer them. Tell me where I can find the one called Thor. And he says, Looky here, Missy. Step in a light so I can see. Time grows short. Speak. And he's like, Holy. And we see Thor girl looking not as dramatic as she did on the cover. And she doesn't have the huge boobs that she had on the cover either. But um, uh, we see a blonde woman wearing the Thor girl outfit. She's got the hammer, but it's a tiny little hammer in comparison to what we saw on the cover. And uh, she says, "'Tis known the god of thunder dwells within this Midgardian city's confines. 
Surely the tallest of buildings are most impressive of castles serves as Surely the tallest of buildings are most impressive of castles serves as his abode. Speak us now, mortal. Where might I find the Odin son? But I ain't ever seen the guy, says the wino. I'd love to tell you, but the truth is, I ain't got the slightest idea of where the Avenger is. And yeah, so we then shift scenes where we have the splash page. The million dollar debut of Thor Girl is the title of the story. Dan Jurgens was the writer. Stuart Immonen was the guest artist. Wade Von Graubadger was the guest inker. Joe Rosas is the guest colorist. Richard Starkings and Comic Crafts. Wes Abbott did the lettering. Mark Sumerak was the assistant editor. Tom Brevoort was the editor. Joe Casada was the heir to the throne of legendary Erlos. Ha ha ha. Great. So, uh, yeah, so we have Thor, and he's on the splash page, and he is facing off against some sort of opponent. He's got a mean look in his eye, and a robotic sort of voice uh, comes out and says, All is ready. Thus let the battle begin. And it's a giant robot, and it is attacking Thor. It is a very top-heavy-looking thing. Uh, looks like a Mike Mignola sort of, of drawing. And it is encroaching upon Thor, getting ready to smash him. It looks like they're in some kind of an arena, is, is what it looks like. Uh, some kind of gladiator's arena or something. And Thor says, Thou art called Noatron, art thou not? Designated so, because I am able to nullify the mightiest of opponents. Mayhap until today, I suspect thy time with me shall go differently. Maybe, maybe not, says the robot. And it smashes Thor across the face with a cram, sends him flying back, and uh, Thor gets up and he says, Ulix stench, thy speed exceeds any I have ever experienced before. Still, tis not enough to save thee from the awe-inspiring power of my mallet, Mjolnir. And he holds up the uh, the mallet and he shoots like with the lightning rays or whatever out of the out of the hammer and it hits a Nolatron in the stomach with a chakow. And uh, we have uh, a voice coming from, from the side that says, Observe, my friend, the fight even Thor cannot win. How? Oh, Mjolnir is on the verge of beating Nolatron now. I anticipated such a possibility. And we see a, um, a glove, a close-up of Nolatron's glove, and it's glowing. And uh, Nolatron says, You think me one-dimensional? Such is not the case. And he creates a sort of glowing sphere of energy, and he pitches it at, uh, at Thor, and it encases the head of Mjolnir, and Thor says, By the bristling beard of Odin, suddenly my Uru hammer is incapacitated. And uh, the, the hammer is kind of swallowed up inside this uh, ball of energy, and there's a big uh, crack, and the hammer is gone. And Thor says, Impossible! Mjolnir is no more. Without your hammer, you are nothing, says Noatron. A whisper unheard. A sapling withering beneath the fury of a hurricane. A flickering flame to be extinguished. And he's beating up Thor rather uh, brutally here, just kind of smashing him. And he knocks Thor's head clean off. Uh, with a slam, and Thor's head goes flying, and we see little wires sticking out from the head, so therefore, it's not exactly Thor, is it? So, anyway, the head goes bouncing off, 
And the voice says, Impressive. You truly believe Novatron can do this to the real Thor? Of course. Time offers us the chance to study and plan, to take the time to devise the perfect means. You'll deploy Novatron back into the past soon, says the voice. Immediately. And we see that it is a, a gladiator arena, and all the uh, people in the, the arena are shouting, No, we're Tor! No, we're Tor! No, we're Tor! And then we shift scenes, and we are in Manhattan, and it's snowing outside, and it is Jake Olson and Beta Ray Bill, and they are in Jake's apartment. Uh, if you remember last time, we covered uh, something from Thor Volume 2, which was just about a year ago now. Uh, you can go back, and we found uh, Jake uh, entering his apartment to find Jake Olson's mom. Yes, yeah, that's where we left off. And she took one look at Beta Ray Bill and fainted. So uh, we see kind of the point of view from uh, Jake's mom waking up on the couch. And Jake says, I do not believe this. Mother, are you okay? I mean, I realize how unusual this must seem, but there's a perfectly good explanation. Really, there is. Huh. Don't labor too hard, my friend, says Beta Ray Bill. Jake, I, what happened? You fainted. Well, I shouldn't wonder why. My goodness, Jakesy, that creature, who? That's Beta Ray Bill, Mother. I realize he looks different, but there's nothing to worry about. He's a friend. An enchanting pleasure indeed, Mrs. Olson, says Beta Ray Bill, and holds out his hand to be shaken, and uh, she's not responding to it because she's talking to Jake. A friend? How? We met a couple weeks ago, says Jake. You remember how aliens invaded Earth, right? Well, Beta Ray Bill was working with Thor to save New York. I met him on an emergency run. I watched as your son saved lives, Mrs. Olson. I was so impressed by his heroics that we struck up something of a friendship. Mr. Beta Ray, I didn't object when Jake C. befriended that awful little Bobby Oxford in first grade, and I don't object now. Please, call me Bill. Thank you, Mother, says Jake. Since when do you address me so formally? I bet you two are hungry. I'll whip us up a fabulous lunch. Sorry, Mom. I have the afternoon shift, so it's time for me to run. Then I'll tidy up while you're gone. See you later, Jakesy. Sure. Make yourself at home, he says. And uh, they go out the door, and uh, they're t he's talking with Bill right outside the uh, door. It's like an elevator right, right there. I worked hard adopting Jake's wholesome life as my own Bill, but having his mother here is too much. Why? You are quite adept at dealing with parental issues. Perhaps you can introduce her to Odin one day. You're kidding, right? You are kidding, aren't you, Bill? Bill? And Bill is flown out the window, and he's got a little grin on his face, and he's like, <laughs> Jakesy. And so Bill has gone flying off. And we shift scene, and we are in Asgard, and we have uh, Sif, and Balder, and they are at the bedside of Odin, and Odin is in the Odin sleep, as you may recall, and he's in his racing car bed looking very cozy. He's not dressed in his fur onesie, though, so I'm a little disappointed by that. But anyway, Sif is there, and she's like, with each pa and she's saying this out loud, with each passing day, my concern deepens, my lord Odin. One might ye awake from the grips of the restorative Odin sleep. Thou art needed desperately, omnipotent one, in all the years of thy benevolent rule, Ne'er hast thou slumbered so long to rejuvenate thy powers. 
In the time of thy sleep, we did suffer a most vicious attack from Malachith. I fear thy subjects blame me for that, and every other ill which plagues us. Let me calm thy troubled mind, beautiful stiff. Balder, I, take no fault, for thou didst lead Asgard to victory over Malekith. Thou art graciousness personified, Balder. I only wish all Asgardians agreed with thee. And we shift back to New York City and the alleyway once again. Uh, we have the same bum in the alleyway and uh, a voice coming from behind says, Answers. And the guy's like, huh? What? Answers. The Thunder God, where is he? Do I look like I'm sitting in an information boot? Like I told her, pal. Like I told your pal, I don't got no idea where he hangs his hammer. You irritate me. Yeah, well, you bug the heck out of me, too. And it turns out this is Nolatron character, not surprisingly. Then I shall put you out of your misery, he says. And he picks up the wino, and the wino's like, hey! And there's a Tzact, and we see that the uh, Nolatron has turned this guy into a skeleton. So, yeah, not a good ending for our little wino friend here. And Nolatron uh, comes out of the alleyway into the street because that's how they roll in New York City. And he says, uh, if I cannot find the Thunder God, I shall force him to come to me. And uh, there's, a, there's a guy standing by the road and it looks like a pink jumpsuit. <laughs> um, and he says, not another invader. Don't we ever get a break? Maybe Shelley's right. Maybe we should move to Iowa, says a cab driver. And we shift scenes again, and we're in a uh, fancy restaurant called Shea Paul. And uh, Jake, Jake Olson is here in the restaurant, and his partner Christine is here with him. And they've been helping this old guy, and uh, he's got a, like these rich people hanging around. And there's a, got a matronly woman, and she's like, Oh, thank you. I was sure my George was having a heart attack. He was only choking, ma'am. He'll be fine, says Christine. You're sure? There's no permanent damage. Christine and I examined him thoroughly, ma'am. There's nothing to worry about. Though I might suggest take a training course in emergency first aid. You never know when you're going to need to know the Heimlich, says Christine. Would you sit down, Marge? I've been embarrassed enough today. And they go leaving the restaurant, and Christine's like, I'm rather disappointed, Jake. Why? What I do now? Here we've been working together for weeks. And I still haven't seen much of your legendary life-saving heroics. Maybe you're complaining, but I'm not. And Christine is, kind of puts her hand on his chest and is like, Wait, the last thing I do is complain. We're a team, Jake. Partners. And she it looks like she's leaning in for a kiss or something. And uh, he's like, Christine? And she goes, Hush. And is leaning in. And uh, a voice yells out from uh, beyond, Thor! <laughs> and, and that gets Jake's attention. He's like, huh? And that yell came from a cop who's running down the street, and he's obviously not yelling to Jake, but he's uh, saying, Captain America, Iron Man, heck, called all the Avengers. We're going to need him. And he's going running down the street, and Jake Olson pops out from, from behind this ambulance, and uh, he says, something bad is going down. And we get a full page here, and it is Nolatron, and he is uh, holding a car up over his head, and it looks like he's getting ready to throw it. And um, Nolatron says, Thor, 
bring me Thor, or I'll raise your entire city. And uh, the guy down below is saying, but I just bought that car last week. Stanley, don't worry about it, says the woman. Get back in the restaurant and get it evacuated. I'll make sure everyone out here is okay, says Jake. Christine is like, why are you always chasing me off when there's trouble? Just do it, says Jake. And he goes running off towards the alleyway. And Christine is like, you're the boss, baby. Hmm? And uh, (laughs) Jake goes running off into the alley and he bangs his fist on the ground. And there's a giant glow and a facash. And he's saying, if it's Thor he wants, by the glory of the golden realm, to Thor he shall have. And Thor comes bursting out of the alleyway and he tackles Nolatron with a cram, uh, smashing into a city bus. And yeah, this has got a very dynamic shot here. And Thor is shouting out, Gird thyself for battle, mechanical one. Those who dare assault the most exalted of cities upon Midgard court the rage and fiery temper of the god of thunder. For this mortal plane is now the home of Thor, and as such, I shall fight to the last breath to defend it. Thou art unknown to me, monster, still thy motives are malevolent, and for that thou shalt pay. And he's smacking the Nolatron pretty bad with his hammer, with a tang and a spack and all that. And Nolatron gets a good shot in and, and bats uh, Thor aside. He says, away. And Thor is nearby and he starts to uh, summon some kind of uh, energy out of the hammer. And he says, thy strength is mighty, I grant thee. Yet mere distance shall not save thee from the power of mine Uru hammer, Mjolnir. And uh, Nolator says, I am called Nolator. In a moment you will see why. And he does the glowing thing with his hand and he shoots out the uh, glowing ball like he did in the arena. And it, uh, it, it surrounds the hammer and Thor says, Ulex stench, some kind of energy field envelops my mallet. Such a move will avail thee not, for I, I, he says, and there's a crick, tick, tick. Uh, Thor is uh, yelling out, impossible, tis as if, Every bit of Mjolnir's energy is being forced back through me. And there's a, a chow sound effect as another hammer comes streaking out of uh, nowhere. And I got a kind of a burst of Kirby crackle. And Thor says, Heimdall's eyes, another hammer doth shatter yon energy sphere. But what manner of man hath power enough to do such a thing? Tis I, Thunder God, though I am no man, still... I shall fight beside thee in pursuit of all that is good and just. Thou mayest refer us to me as Thor Girl, and of course is uh, Thor Girl, who we saw on the cover and on the uh, splash page. Kneel the assemblage of grease, gears, and metal. Thy dream of conquest ends now. Soon shall this behemoth fall. I trust he did thee little harm. And she's whacking on uh, Nolator with a uh, spatang. And Thor looks alarmed by this, and uh, she's saying, uh, Thy tongue is still. It would seem my appearance hath taken thee by surprise. Tis an understatement, sure, for I recognize thee not as Thor, girl, but as Tareen, the designate. And we, we met Tareen back in uh, issues number 23 through 28 of this series. Aye, but I wish for a more appropriate name. Hammer Girl, mayhap, or Thorita. What say you to Hammerette, 
Is that not appropriate for a fellow warrior? Child, as thou art the designate, who dost in the lead life across the universe to new heights, this is a most inappropriate arena for thee. These matters of death and danger should not involve thee. Art thou worried about me? Thou needest not be. And uh, the two of them, in the meantime, are just banging on the uh, uh, Nolator and just, just, <laughs> just, just beating the hell out of him, and he's not doing real well against the two of them. Um, and eventually they end up smashing him into looks like a uh, some sort of a storefront with a thoom. And uh, for the moment, Nolator is down, and the police come, come running up to uh, Thor and, and uh, Thor girl, and they're saying, What's the deal, Thor? Yeah, who's the Britney Spears wannabe? And who sent their killer robot? Mayhap I'll have answers on the morrow. But for now, there are only questions. And we shift to a laboratory sort of place. And we have a sort of holographic projector, a.k.a. cosmic voyeuroscope of some description. And we see two figures, and they're uh, watching... Now, one of these guys is got uh, like purple skin, and he's got this big old blue mohawk, and he's wearing sort of a, dare I say, kind of Superman-ish looking uniform. And the other guy is a bald dude dressed in green, and he looks a bit familiar as well. And uh, the mohawk guy says, I was right. Nolator wasn't up to the task. Bah! Since the day we first tangled, Thor has prevailed over me. Arthur Zarko, the Tomorrow Man. If you want Thor defeated, there's only one man capable of doing the job. How right you are, gladiator. Therefore, the course of action is clear. For our era to escape the tragedy Thor will inflict, you must travel to the past and kill the God of Thunder. To be continued... That is The Mighty Thor, number 33. And we will be talking about this issue right after this message. Star Trek. Comic books. Mythology. Video games. Toys. Star Wars. Just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by two true freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with, and be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. And we are back, and of course we have a few things to say about the issue. First of all, I'm not, I don't have a lot to say about Dan Jurgen's story, and the reason why I don't have a lot to say about it is that it's a very competent story. There's not a lot to criticize about it other than the fact that it's a little bit by the numbers. It's very typical of a Marvel comic. We, we start out with this uh, scene where we're revealing that Tareen is back. And not only is she back, but she is back as a super-powered hero. So 
on this on the cover we have her kind of in this mysterious character in shadows with these kind of huge pendulous breasts but here in the book in the interior she's actually a much more respectfully drawn character she is a a teenage girl with a teenage girl's build and uh, is drawn very well indeed. Let's talk about the art a little bit. Yeah, because I like Stuart Eminen's art. Stuart Eminen is one of those artists that I really more associate with DC Comics. He did uh, a bunch of stuff over at DC, including one of my favorite series, The Legion of Superheroes. So that's a, a, really where I know Stuart Eminen from. He also did some Superman stuff, and and so you know he he was definitely a part of that DC world of the 1990s before I quit collecting comics. Very much was one of the artists whose work I really appreciated at that time. He's very much in the more realistic field of of art, like Kevin McGuire and, and a few of those other guys, where where they tried to capture people. With you know, with real facial expressions, and you know, really brought an element of reality to characters that were otherwise pretty uh, remarkable. And I really, really like his work. So yeah, happy to see Stuart Eminen on the book. I don't know. I mean, he's obviously he's a guest artist on this issue. Um, so I'm assuming that you know he's not going to be on the book for long. But if he does stick around for a while, that won't make me unhappy. Zarko the Tomorrow Man. Yeah, interesting to see him back. We haven't seen him on the book for a long time. I think that was still back in the Lee Kirby run the last time we saw him. Um, not a favorite character of mine, but, you know, hey, I mean, we'll see why he's working with Gladiator. Very interesting combination here. Now, Gladiator, of course, member of the uh, Shi'ar Imperial Guard. This was a group that was originally... Uh, introduced in the X-Men series by Chris Claremont. They were a, kind of a, uh, a Legion of Superheroes analog as, as originally invented by uh, Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. And they did a version of the X-Men in the Legion of Superheroes book in return. So it was sort of one of those unofficial crossover things. Uh, Gladiator was pretty well known as sort of the Superman slash Superboy analog. So he's generally a good guy. And so why he's working with Zarko the Tomorrow Man is something that we'll find out, I guess, in the course of the story. But of course, at this point, we're meant to wonder. And because I haven't read the conclusion of the story, I'm going to wonder too. So that's about it. Don't have a lot else to say about the story. Solid story. Solid artwork. Uh, yeah, back to, uh, back to greatness here with uh, Thor number 33. And with that, I really don't have a lot to talk about here at the end of the show. So, once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Once again, thanks to Gene Hendricks for sending us an email. If you want to send us an email and get it read out on the show like Gene, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. And uh, we always appreciate feedback from our listeners. And that is that. So I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard. And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. 
We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.